1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, thank you as always for listening. This is our Torino review episode and I'm joined by a guest to help me out with this one. He's been on the podcast before, but it's been far too long since we've had him back. It's our friend Mo Salad. How are you, Mo?
2: I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a very, very long time. I think the last time I joined was um, when you were doing your wonderful series about Napoli fans worldwide. Um, So we've never actually done an actual review or an actual game break of anything. So,
1: Yeah, exactly. And you were one of the first people we yeah. had for Forza Napoli worldwide. So yeah, of it's course. been a long time. Um, yeah, no. There's, as always, a lot to talk about with every game. I'll quickly recap. We won 1-0 on a late goal by none other than Victor Oziman. but it wasn't easy. Watching this match, it felt like it just wasn't our day. I want to start with the penalty kick. That was (laughs) Insigne's fifth penalty of the season. He had two in the opening match against Venezia. He missed the first one, but then he scored the second. He scored a penalty against Cagliari, and then he was stopped in the Fiorentina match, but that one didn't really feel like a miss because we scored on the rebound. So mm-hmm. technically, he still failed to convert. Um, And then on Sunday, he was stopped by Vanya milinkovic Savage. So on the season, Insigne has only converted two out of five penalty kicks. On so, Mo, should Insignia still be taking the penalty kicks?
2: Over the last couple of weeks, I mean, because of the international break and stuff, Napoli fans in general have been having this discussion and talking about who should replace him and stuff. I think Insigne should come off penalties simply because every single time he steps up, you don't know whether he's going to score or not. Like, it's it really is 50-50 and that shouldn't be the case with a penalty kick. I mean, you're supposed to score more than you miss and this season he's missed more than he scored. So um, I think we should take him off. I, I know Spalletti's come out and said um, he's not going to replace Insigne. So, I mean, that puts that discussion to bed. But um, if you're asking me, I think he should because, I mean, even spanning back to the end of last season, he was missing. It was very um, up and down. So um, I guess he should, but I don't think he will simply because he's the captain and he's the leader of this team.
1: Yeah, Spalletti said it in a very Spalletti kind of way. He said uh, in his post-match interview with The Zone that Insigne is going to take the next one. Lorenzo's going to take the one after that and the captain will take the one after that, which of course is all the same person. So let me me ask you, so let me ask you if you had to pick between, let's say one of the other starters, because I I think most of us would probably agree that if Mertens, Mertens,
2: yes, he's probably the
1: other guy. So that's a little bit easier, but let's say with yesterday's starting lineup, Sunday starting lineup, who would you pick to take the I would,
2: I would pick Um. I'd, I'd pick Ossiman simply because he's your striker he's, he's your best finisher and if you look at most teams around the world your striker is your penalty taker majority of the time unless you have someone like Jorginho who's going to score 99% of his penalties you know so I would give it to Ossiman Ossiman takes them for Nigeria he took a few for Lille before he signed for us and he I mean, I I'll take Ossiman to score the majority of his penalties. So I'll give it to Ossiman. And also, um, we want him to be top scorer, and every other player that he's fighting with to be top scorer is a penalty taker, immobile, et cetera. So I'd I'd give it to I'd give it to him, Ossieman.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair shot. Personally, I'm a little bit on the fence to be honest i didn't i wasn't aware that he takes them for nigeria and, and that he, he did does. for uh, Lille as well so that that gives me a bit more confidence i was a little bit he didn't bit take them consistent
2: he didn't take them consistently for lil he took them from time to time but he did he did take penalties for lil and and most of the time when nigeria have a penalty he he's the one that steps up
1: okay yeah so i think that probably makes him the uh, the most probable player other than Insigne to take them what do you think about someone like a Fabian or a Zielinski maybe those are a couple of names that other people are kind of throwing their hats into the ring
2: I wouldn't mind Fabian or Zielinski because we know they're two of the best shooters on the team so um, I would I wouldn't mind them taking our penalties for sure I mean of course I, I don't want to insult Insignia anyway whatsoever but like anyone but Insigne at this point because he just it's not even a thing where he can't strike the ball because we know Insigne can shoot and score from anywhere it's just a matter of he just doesn't look confident taking penalties. And every penalty is different from the other. Like, you know, with Jorginho, you know exactly what you're going to expect. Sorry, with Ronaldo, you know exactly what you're going to expect. Like, he's going to he's going to shoot it. Whether he misses or he scores Jorginho, he's going to do his little start-step, whether he misses or he scores. Every time Insigne, he scores or he misses, he's changing the way he takes them. Yesterday, he tried to take them like Jorginho. The week before, he tried to take them like Ronaldo. Then The week before that, he went top corner. So it's it's kind of, even he's not sure what he's going to do when he steps up. He's just kind of hoping that it goes in. And I don't know if that's a great tactic for taking penalties.
1: Yeah, it's almost like he's gotten into his own head now. Do you think, I personally don't believe this, but I'm curious to know what you think, because some media have thrown this this idea out there. But do you think his play at all could be impacted by the fact that his contract is being negotiated?
2: No, not at all. I mean, the, the media says a lot. I don't I don't believe he's what are they saying that he's playing poorly because of his contract or he's playing better or he's missing penalties because of the contract is what what are they implying when they say this guy don't know because his senior has been very very good other than penalties this year for Napoli
1: yeah I agree I I don't think it has anything to do with it I think he's been a complete pro I think um, statistically like if you look at his scoring numbers they're down from last year but I don't use that as a gauge as to how well he's played because i do think he's played just as well he just hasn't scored and assisted as much
2: one of the reasons that may be is because last year there was a lot more on his shoulders because no one else was scoring and assisting this year the goal scoring has been spread i mean obviously your striker scoring the, the bulk of your goals fabian scored a few goals zielinski scored elmas has scored politano has scored lozano has scored i mean everyone else is scoring so there's less onus on him to score and He can just create and have his game. I mean, um, even though his numbers are not showing up on the stat sheet as goals or assists, I'm sure if you look at the advanced metrics as um, chances created and accurate shots that his play has, all all of these extra statistics um, that you will know if you watch Napoli is that he's been very, very creative. He's putting the ball into the box and a lot of things that he's doing is creating goals for Napoli. So um, maybe he's, he's not scoring or assisting, but he's creating a lot
1: there's also been a change in our approach, right? Like Oseman is very much the focal point of the attack now. Like how often do we see where as soon as we get the ball to back, we play an immediate long ball to Oseman and let him go chase after that. And we're seeing those numbers show up on on Oseman's stats, obviously. And, and that was something we were all kind of expecting from Spalletti because his number nines do tend to thrive in his system. The other thing is you mentioned Insignia having to bear more of the responsibility last season. I was actually comparing his stats, and I think he missed two games due to injury in the first eight. So if we look at his first eight appearances, so the first 10 games of the season, two of his goals came in the final two games, and that was after Osaman picked up his shoulder injury on the international break. So I agree. I, I don't take any of that to mean, I think this is the media just trying to creates.
2: That was, that was also the case when Higuain was scoring 25-30 goals. Insigne wasn't scoring that many goals. And there was a lot of pre assists so to speak, where um Insigne would cross the ball to Calejón. Calejón would get the actual assist, but that goal was created because Insigne was the one who put the killer pass in. So, I mean, these things won't appear, but if you watch Napoli consistently and regularly, you will know that Insigne is very, very influential. And a lot of the things that we do happens because of the left side and what insignia is is doing coming inside cutting in and making those passes drawing defenders in dribbling etc cetera, etc cetera. so um Insigne is not scored but he's played very very well for Napoli this year
1: I agree last thing I want to ask you about Insignia before we move on is when he was taken off he looked visibly upset I think he kicked a water <laughs> ball or something is that something we should be worried about at all
2: um the way I interpreted that and maybe that's just because. Um, That's just how I am. I interpret that as Insigne being frustrated with himself for missing the penalty and him at himself rather than being annoyed with Spalletti. Because, I mean, Insigne has been taken off millions of times. And when Insigne is playing well, when he comes off, he's good. I mean, Insigne, if he had scored that penalty and it was 1-1 and Insigne was taken off, he would have probably been less frustrated. But I feel like it's the fact that he believes that at that time because when we scored he was the most relieved because he's the one that missed the penalty so I think it was more of a frustration on himself rather than anything else so that's how I interpret it and I don't think the problem there at all
1: yeah he kind of got bailed out by the goal so that's sort of the relief that he had one thing that Spalletti is doing differently than Gattuso did is he's managing Insigne's minutes a bit more with Gattuso Insigne played Almost every minute of every match. every
2: single second of every single game. <laughs> Napoli are winning six nil going into the last twenty minutes, and, and he'd rather take off a centre back than take off Insigne. I mean, that was that was, <laughs> I, I didn't get it, but he is he is managing them very very well.
1: Yeah, with Spalletti, Insignia's only played the full 90 in one match this season, which was the the season opener against Venezia. Other than the Spartak-Moscow match, where he was removed early because Mario Rui got the red card, so that was more of a tactical decision. This was the first time that Spalletti took Insignia off with the game sort of still in the balance. All the other games, we had at least a one-goal lead. I found that interesting because I believe Insignia made a comment to Spalletti when he was taken off in after the Fiorentina match, something to the effect that I I could have kept on playing. And Spalletti in his post-match conference said that that's what Insignia told him and that next time he'll let him play more. So I thought it was interesting that he still went ahead and took him off anyways.
2: I think that was, again, it was very, I mean, you can't, one thing that we can't do so far this season is question Spalletti's um, changes because every time he's made them, They've worked. And I feel like it was just more of a different approach because the players that he brought on, I think it was it was Lozano and El Master that came on for Politano and Insigne. Um, and I think Spalletti was trying to go for a more direct approach rather than um, the slow build-up, which is what Insigne provides. So from a tactical point of view, I, I understood it. I don't think anyone should be annoyed. I don't think Insigne is annoyed himself. I mean, I think he knows he knows what's going on. So I, I doubt that will ever be an issue.
1: I think it might have been Mertens. I think Lozano had come on earlier to replace Politano. But where I was actually going to go with that is that both Elmas and Mertens, the two subs that came on at that point, were involved in the eventual game-winning goal, right? So it's hard to question uh, Spalletti when when that... And obviously Lozano that
2: came on as well just had hit the post and he was playing really, really well as well. So you you can't really question it.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is I think Spalletti spends more time with all due respect to Gattuso. He seems to be very mindful of the schedule and what's coming up next. Right. And maybe he would have left Insigne in longer if Unas wasn't hurt. But with Unas hurt, we probably need to rely on Insigne for at least one of these two games against uh, Legia Warsaw in the Europa League. Maybe we'll see Elmas play on the wing. But again, I think, yeah, it's nothing against the player. He's doing what's in the best interest of the team and it's paying off. So that'll do for part 1 in part 2 we'll talk about that goal. Corren bracha tu mamma non vuoi chiamar bicci ri
0: tutta la verità ca mamma de bocca hey e che mamma non pianze vero mai se mo soffio non cade il velo che ti fa vivere in bianco e nero un uomo libero segue la sua strada che se hey. è hey. sbagliata ci vediamo alla prossima cazzo
1: In ni, e non vuoi nipa da inguagliare chi desidera sempre i modi di fare è mobilitare con la delle picceri che
0: si ottieni a papà non sono lo siamo di prima chissà come va a farmi lavoro a vent'anni o solo
1: vent'anni e passa e spazzo sotto a sto barcone, ma tu sei guaglione tu non conosci femmina se sei ancora così giovane tu sei guaglione tu devi sentire ma tu
0: di
1: Welcome to part two of the Forza podcast. I want to talk about the goal next. It was osman's eighth goal in all competitions. Well, what did you make of that goal?
2: I don't know if you've seen my Twitter, but the most the thing I was most impressed about from that goal was Koulibaly. That was just for me winning the ball, completely sending the midfielder the other way, getting into the box, playing those intricate one-twos with I mean the the play the build-up play before the goal was just as good as the header. I don't think anyone when that ball was in the air up for grabs, I don't think anyone doubted that Ossiman would be the one to win it. But it's just the play that happened before the goal, which was just incredible to see, and we've seen that so many times now. And what what impresses me the most with Napoli this year is we can score in so many different ways. We can cross it in. We can we can do route one, just kick it up to him. We can. I mean, the, the goal that we scored against Leicester, the first one, just play the ticky tackle on the edge of the box, put it in. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can score, and it was really it was really impressive to see us score that way to break down Torino. Obviously, there was an element of luck involved, but nonetheless, it was a nice goal to see.
1: Yeah, I find that Koulibaly is playing a lot more forward than we've ever seen him play. He's constantly joining the attack. And and I guess Spalletti has identified that he has the skill for a big central defender to still do that. And we saw that with that backheel was just ridiculous. I don't know too many center backs that can make a touch like that in a tight area so quickly. And you know, we mentioned the, the other players that came on with Mertens, Lozano, Elmas, all involved. There's a sequence of seven or eight passes leading up to that goal very quick passes to get into the area Mertens's cross gets cleared out I think it was Pobega maybe or no sorry it was Sasha Lukic that tries to blast the ball it comes off the back of Elmas and even even Juric said after the match that he felt like Napoli got a bit lucky on the goal and Torino deserved a drop then you had the finish by air victor which is the the name that we're seeing today which i really like and you know a couple of seasons ago cristiano ronaldo made headlines for the leap he made on a goal that he scored against genoa and i think they measured it at 2.56 meters or whatever i I don't know how they even measure these things apparently victor's leap was measured at 2.52 meters so maybe four centimeters lower but he seemed to really get up there Oseman wasn't just, it wasn't just the goal, but he was incredible in this match. That, not to sound too negative, I feel like I sound really negative today, but let me ask you anyways, uh, are you worried that maybe we're becoming a little bit too dependent on Victor, especially knowing that we're going to lose him during the African Cup of Nations?
2: Kind of, yes. But at the same time, if you look around the squad, as I mentioned in, in the first part, a lot of people are contributing to goals. Everyone's scoring goals. So um, even when we do lose him, I do believe that someone else will take that role. And maybe our approach to attack will change slightly because we can't just kick the ball up to Petenya and expect him to chase it. That's just not his game. But then again, that's that's just how it is when you have players of that quality. You know, you, you want them to make a change for you. When you have them, you utilise it the best they can. I'm sure... Um, because Valetti's been so good. I'm sure he's got um, a plan for when Ossie men is no longer there for the Af- Africa Cup of Nations. Um, and because not only because so many people are scoring, but because we're scoring in so many different ways, um, I don't think we will struggle as much um, when he's gone.
1: I have a feeling that Dries Mertens will play a big uh, part during that little stretch. Just to remind everyone, AFCON starts on January 9th and ends on February 6th. Usually the players join their respective nations a week before the tournament starts. So that means that assuming Senegal, Cameroon, and Nigeria all make it to the semifinals because there's also a third place match. So anyone who gets the semifinals will play one more match. Then Koulibaly and Giza and Osman will miss five games. But fortunately, it's a pretty light schedule for that stretch. The first game is a tough one against Juventus, but we can't really complain about that one. Juve were missing a number of their best players for the Girona and Data or the first meeting. But after that, we play against Sampdoria, Bologna, Salernitana, and Venezia. So even if we're missing those guys, who are all you know, all three of them are integral parts of this starting eleven, you have to feel like we still should get some results there, right?
2: That's the argument I've been making this entire time when everyone's like oh we're gonna we're gonna lose such key players i mean when the fixture list came out the first thing i looked at well the first thing i look at all the time is the last five games of the season because um i want to see um if we're fighting for the title or the top four who will have to play in the last part of the season but obviously because of afcon this year i looked at the january schedule and i was like we don't need our three best players or three crucial players to beat these teams. We should have more than enough quality to win these games comfortably, even without them. Of course, the Juventus game, um, you'd, you'd like to have your best players there because Juventus game just means a lot a lot more for us, just naturally. I would have preferred it if it was Inter or someone else, even another big team. But Juventus, you, you always want to give your best against them. But I'm not too worried about losing them for the African Cup of Nations. We should be able to scrape through them. Not even scrape, we should comfortably win. But even if we don't, we should be able to get what needs to be done in that month
1: yeah and I think that's why you know the games that we play before that tournament starts are so key because if we can accumulate enough points and build a a nice gap then we can afford to drop some points here and there that's going to happen eventually I don't think anyone's expecting us to have a perfect season as great as that would be so you know we'll take as many points as we can and if we drop a couple along the way we should be able to withstand that Let's move on to a player who you tweeted is one of the most underrated players in the world, actually. It was, this was in response to, I think, a four three three tweet. I thought that other than Osman, Di Lorenzo was one of our best players. What did you make of his performance?
2: I feel like Di Lorenzo, every single game that he plays for us, he plays at at least an 8 or above. Sometimes he drops to about a 6, and when he does, we feel it because he's so important to us. The reason I say he's underrated is, um, I mean, us Napoli fans, we don't underrate him, but I feel like he's underrated in, on the world stage because he is definitely one of the best right-backs in the world, and he's not regarded as such. Di Lorenzo was incredible yesterday, and he is majority of the time. I mean, you know how I feel about Di Lorenzo. He's one of my favorite players of all time. So, Yeah,
1: yeah I think I would say not even just on the world stage, but even on the Italian stage, I think he might be underrated because, you know, even during the Euros a lot of people were totally fine with Florenzi starting over Di Lorenzo and he didn't really get that chance until Florenzi got hurt. And then even then people just seem to kind of accept that he's kind of the best we have there, but maybe don't rate him as highly as they should. I thought, especially in the first half, he was our most creative player and this is you know our fullback, right? Like he, he gets up and down that right wing that's the one thing I, I've said this before on the podcast, but the one thing I really like about Politano starting on the right wing is that he and Di Lorenzo seem to have a bit better chemistry. And I think it's because Politano's left footed, he can cut in and that opens up the overlap for Di Lorenzo. And we saw that again yesterday where there was a couple of chances that he created. Actually one was off a given goal with Anguisa and he put the ball right on Osaman's head. He just couldn't keep the header down. There was another one where he, he crossed the ball into the danger area and there was just nobody there. It ended up getting sort of shepherded out for a corner kick. There was a play where he dribbled out of the back. This was earlier in the match when um, around the 10th minute Oseman came close to scoring just on his own. But the play started with Di Lorenzo dribbling out of the back. He passed to Insignia, who immediately sent Victor long and we get a good scoring chance. And then of course he had the goal in the second half that was ruled out for offside by the VAR though I think that was the correct decision it was marginal but probably the correct decision I mentioned Politano he didn't have his best match particularly in the final few minutes of the first half he turned the ball over twice in succession both times Torino had attacks that didn't really amount to a whole lot Mo, should we consider ourselves lucky that torino didn't take any of their chances in this match. yeah um
2: both times that he lost the ball um they had an, a man over so either four on three or three on two and it was silly of him um not only that i mean politano didn't have the best game going forward either of course his chemistry with Di lorenzo is always fantastic i mean and even if politano's having the worst game he allows Di lorenzo to express himself which means chances are coming from that side But um, Politano didn't have one of his best games yesterday on either side. I mean, he's not known for um, losing the ball in silly areas. Actually, one of the things I like about him the most is how mature he is on the ball. But yesterday, he just seemed like he was trying to do too much because he wasn't having the best game. And I I feel like that's kind of normal. When guys are not having the best game, they try to do a little bit more to try and compensate for the bad game that they're already having.
1: I would say maybe we're a little bit fortunate, particularly that Bracolo didn't hit the target a couple of times. But... I also feel like his teammates kind of picked him up. I felt like on on those two counterattacks, we saw our defenders and our midfielders racing back and breaking up those attacks. David Ospina continues to prove why he deserves to start for this team. He made two big saves on Breccolo. His best was in the second half after Breccolo dribbled through four Napoli players, Fabian Di Lorenzo, Rachmani, and Koulibaly. If you watch Koulibaly defending there, I genuinely think his first concern was to avoid conceding a penalty. And it's unfortunate because that's how players have to play these days with how easily penalties are given. Brekalo kind of got on the inside of him. And rather than pulling a shoulder and, and he goes down to ground immediately, he just kind of ran beside him and he got the shot off. Fortunately, Ospina was able to make that save. So that will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about Chucky Lozano walking off the pitch.
2: O tempo passava a me passava a per te perché, ma io non saci so più come so soffare a non care, ma Barahiera che non sapeva parlare, e tu mi hai imparata, tu mi imparata a cantita. Non sa che
1: a ti da gomma so fa. Non sa che chiu, ti da gomma so fa, so fa. non sa che ti da a so fa. Non sa che ti da gomma so fa,
2: so fa. O ti passava me, passava te, perché. Ma tu mi tieni a mente, come una piccola Fede me chiamata, la vita m'ha già innamorata La porta apriessa me, printa avanza moi a te Sola, non sa c'è chiù, sola gomma se fa, non sa c'è chiù Sola gomma se fa, se fa
1: Welcome to part 3 of the Forza Napoli podcast. Let's talk about Chuki Lozano's brief appearance in this match. We talked about Politano's struggles earlier. He was replaced by Lozano in the 59th minute. Only minutes after coming on, he hit the upright. You mentioned that earlier. Osman puts us ahead in the 81st minute. And then in the 89th minute, Spalletti removes Lozano after only half an hour of play and puts in Juan Jesus. Woltzano was clearly unhappy about being pulled, despite Insignia's pleas for him to stay on the bench. He says no, and he goes straight into the locker room. What did you make of that reaction?
2: Um, I mean, I tweeted instantly. I was like, yo, he needs to understand the bigger picture. I mean, one of the attackers has to come off. And it makes sense for it to be him because he's the smallest attacker that's still left on. The reason you're bringing on Jan Jesus is because you know that they're going to put in a lot of crosses. You know Torino are going to flood the box of crosses and you, you're trying to defend that as much as possible. It's, it's the bigger picture. You're trying to hold on to a lead. It's a hard-fought goal that you scored. You've got 10 minutes to hold on to it. I mean, I, I feel like his uh, reaction was a bit over the top and a little dramatic, especially when he didn't come out to celebrate with the team. That kind of threw me off a little bit. I can understand where he's coming from, but he needs to understand there's more there's more important things and bigger things than just his playing time. I understand the embarrassment and whatnot. You come on and you're taken off, but you, you can't react like that, especially when um, when the goal is a title. At the end of the day, you can't act like that.
1: Yeah, a lot of people didn't like that reaction. A lot of people didn't like Senior's reaction when he was taken off either. For me, I mean, I like to see our players pissed off because it means that they care, right? Like they want to play. So that's good. But yeah, the optics weren't great with him going into the locker room. It kind of made him look selfish and the team always has to come first. Obviously, in the heat of the moment, he's not thinking about tactics, which we know is the reason why Spalletti took him off. And, you know, he's a professional player. Maybe he should have been thinking about that. Spalletti obviously felt that the one goal lead was worth protecting for the final minute plus stoppage time. So he brought on Juan Jesus to play with a five man back line. Now you could possibly question whether Spalletti should have taken off Oseman instead of Lozano. To me, the simple explanation is that Oseman is better in the air. And typically in those final few minutes of the match, because of his height, obviously the, you know, the opponent's just going to launch the ball forward into the area and, you know, we've seen Osman even defending on corner kicks. He's very good at clearing those balls out. So that was he's, the, he's the always
2: one. he's always the first. He's always the person on the front post. Like he's always yep. the, and and he because he's so tall and he he has such a huge leap on him. Um, even before the ball meets the front man, he's clearing away. So it, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing is that for all the good that Lozano does, which he does a lot of good, he's not the greatest defender. One of the chances that Breccolo had, one of them in the second half happened because lozano just stopped tracking his man Brecolo made the run at the back post unfortunately he skied his shot over the bar but you know i think that may factor it into as well i've, I've mentioned on on the podcast before that i think politano tends to be the preferred option especially in closer matches because he's the better defender between him and lozano and on this night politano was having a bad night anyway so so spalletti brought on Chukie, and you know at the time we needed to score credit to spalletti though i thought he did a good job of downplaying the situation after the match he said in his post-match conference that he understood why lozano was upset and he did say even though lozano didn't come out onto the field and congratulate his teammates he did say that he congratulated them in the locker room now maybe he was just doing that to not make this more of a story than it needed to be But, you know, again, it looks like Spalletti got his decisions right because we didn't concede the goal. Another thing that's becoming a bit of a a trademark with Spalletti is we seem to be doing really well on set pieces, which is still something I'm not used to. (laughs) Um, You know, the the Di Lorenzo uh, penalty that he won started with yet another set piece where Insigne plays a short pass from an area where you would have expected a, a ball in the air. He plays it on the ground and... The Lorenzo gets fouled. What do you make of all these set pieces? Because we've seen a whole variety of them at this point.
2: As you said, I'm, I'm, it's still very, very confusing to me. After after almost a decade of watching Napoli, <laughs> um, we're finally seeing some creativity, and um, we've seen every type of set piece. We've seen um, we've seen literally every type of set piece. We've seen things that we see in video games. We've seen playing on the ground. We've seen playing out wide and then crossing it in it shows that we're actually working on it in training rather than just okay let's put a corner in let's hope that Koulibaly or Ossi Ben or one of the centre-backs gets it head on it we're actually working on it we even had a set piece um, a free kick that was disallowed yesterday with uh when Di Lorenzo scored and it was offside like we're actually we're actually practicing it and it's and as as I said um in the first and second part we're scoring in so many different ways which is very very nice to see and yeah, I feel like Napoli haven't even hit top gear yet in terms of going forward and um the fluency in attacking play, but we're still managing to get goals, which is which is another positive sign.
1: Yeah, like in a way these set pieces are kind of making up for for that lack of fluidity that you know will come just with time. Even that the Lorenzo goal that you mentioned, the free kick where the ball was taken from, that started with a set piece from a corner kick where It looked like Politano was coming short to receive the pass. And then as he turned back, Insignia played another short pass. I think it was to Zielinski and he got fouled by Linetti or someone. And then, you know, that sets up the goal that was ultimately ruled out. We had another one where it looked like they were going to run the set piece that they used against Fiorentina. Which was sort of a little bit of trickery with Zielinski, but this time Insignia took it. So they're messing with opponents who are maybe trying to anticipate some of these set pieces because there's so many. And then there was one where Zielinski and, and Insignia lined up, uh, stood over the ball together, and Zielinski just did a little touch pass to Insignia. And next thing you know, he played like three given goes to get into the area. And Insignia tried to win a penalty and he didn't get the call. But yeah, these set pieces are really standing out to me as sort of a, Signature of Spalletti right now.
2: Again, the more ways you can score, the more chance you've got winning games. If we can't score with our fluid play and fluidity passing the ball, then you can cross it to Aussie man. If that doesn't work, then um, you win set pieces, and set pieces will um, that will result in goals. So, as you said, it's a staple of Spalletti, and um, we're just scoring in so many different ways, and we're finally um, taking advantage of being much bigger and more athletic than teams now by putting in good crosses.
1: You know, I was thinking about this and you know me, I'm, I'm the last person that's going to admit if we're favorites to win the Scudetto, but one thing that stood out to me about Conte's Inter that won the Scudetto last year was the productivity they got from their center backs with screen yarn, the Rye scoring on these set pieces, corner kicks. We're seeing the same thing. We have kulibaliya's two goals, Rachmania's two goals. So, you know, that to me can only be a good sign if we're doing the things that the team that won last year's Scudetto were doing. Let's close with something a little bit lighter. We wore our new special edition Halloween kits for for this match. Uh, what did you make of the Halloween kits?
2: I'm not really a fan of the kit itself, but I like the idea. Like Even last year, we had the artist design some shirts for Napoli. I, I like how De Laurentiis is trying to make Napoli a bigger brand by incorporating all these small little marketing things that he's putting in is just to try and grow Napoli to the biggest extent. And obviously the more shirts that you sell, the more money that comes in and it's just trying to grow Napoli more and more and more. Of course, some people are not going to like it. Of course, some people are going to complain, what are you doing? It makes no sense, but I, I like what um ADL's trying to do and what he's attempting to do, creating all of these new products for Napoli fans. Yeah, I agree. I think in terms of the
1: the shirt itself, they always seem to look nicer on the player's, you know, when they're with the full kit, you know, the shirt itself maybe looked a little bit busy with the spider web, but when you put it with the solid black shorts and the black socks look totally fine to me, I agree on the marketing point of view. It's interesting. I saw an article today that apparently Juventus are with, you know, in their Jersey partnership, I think with Adidas, if I'm not mistaken, are are looking to do a, a pattern for next season that is inspired by Louis Vuitton. And so, you know, the first thing that came into my mind was, well, you know, that's nice. You guys are, you're inspired by a designer. We're, we're actually using a designer to produce ours. And I feel like, you know, in that sense, the was a bit of a trendsetter, right? And, you know, you look at Puma's third kit for a lot of the teams they, they uh, make jerseys for that they sponsor. They were so i don't even know the right word they were just not impressive you know it was just kind of like two lines with the the name of the the city in between so they were definitely doing a lot of things and then yeah on the on the financial side you know if you do the quick math they said that they made 1926 of these special edition kits of course 1926 is when the club was founded even just on that at 125 euros that's a couple hundred thousand euros and then all of a sudden today everyone seemed to be able to get their, hand, their hands on more kits. so it seems like they actually did produce more than 1,926 of them which just means more revenue for the club so I'm all for it I don't necessarily have to like them I wasn't a huge fan of the the Marcelo Berlon one you know it seemed to appeal more to the younger crowd I guess I'm getting too old but I'm all for making more money for this team right
2: absolutely i mean especially in a pandemic year you need to try and uh, make as much money as possible i mean those couple of hundred thousands extra that you make will will make up for the seats that you're missing in the stadium because you know the capacity is limited so i mean i mean ADL's always been creative he's always been a trendsetter and he's always been a different type of owner to what the usual owner is like so i mean i'm a fan the shirt itself would i get it? probably not but there's something for everyone so uh I'm happy that Napoli are doing this. I'm happy that we're growing as much as possible. I'm still a huge fan of the whole Armani thing because it, we are the first team to kind of think outside the box and not do the usual Nike, Adidas, Puma, Kappa, that kind of stuff. So I'm impressed with the way we're doing it.
1: Yeah, I am as well. Mo, anything uh, you want to add before we wrap it up?
2: I'm starting to become more and more confident that we can win the league. At the start of the year, I mean, you, you'll, um, you'll attest to this. I was saying, yo, we have a good enough team to win the league. We may not have signed anyone, but we've kept all our best players, something that Inter couldn't do, Juventus couldn't do. And on top of that, we've added Anguissa now, who looks like one of the best midfielders in the world, how he's been playing. So uh, slowly, I'm starting to think that um, maybe this could be our year. And also we're winning games that we wouldn't usually win. Games where we miss penalties and hit the post multiple times. A game like yesterday, of course, we've said this for multiple games before. But a game like yesterday, usually Napoli don't find a way to win it. If anything, one of the Torino, one of their shots go in and we end up losing that game 1-0. So knowing that Napoli haven't even hit full gear yet and we're still playing like this, we're still finding ways to win games, it's a good sign. And I think I'm, I'm very, very optimistic. I always think, yeah, Napoli will win the league. But I'm, I'm very hopeful and I'm kind of... um. I think we are favorites. I think we are we are the best constructed squad in the league. And if we don't get injured and we stay healthy, I think we should be able to win the league without much of a um, challenge from anyone else, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, if we keep it up this way, the books now probably do have us as the favorites. Milan seems to be the only team that is still getting results week in, week out. And they got an impressive come from behind victory against... A team that I only hate more now in Hellas Verona for for letting those points slip away. But you know, as long as we focus on our game and get our results, we don't need to worry too much about what what other teams. I'm, I'm are not
2: going. too I'm not too worried about Milan. I mean, if if it was someone else like Juventus or Inter Milan, continuing to win like this, I would be more more worried. But Milan is not a team that I, I worry too much about because um, their squad just isn't that big and it's not as deep for them to continue grinding results out like this in just in my opinion i mean being 10 points clear of juventus and seven points clear of inter at this stage is is much is much more important to me than only being two points clear of inter milan i mean ac milan they're not they're not that big of a threat to me anyway because they just don't have the talent to keep this up if i'm honest
1: yeah no that's the big question you know they're back in champions league that's that's draining in and of itself I, i feel like playing in the champions league requires more energy than playing in the europa league even though you play the same number of games. It just feels like they mean more, so you put more into it or, or whatnot. Like, I don't think we would be too devastated. Obviously, we want to win everything we can win, but I don't think we would necessarily feel too devastated if we got knocked out of the Europa League. I mean, a lot of people might again look back at Inter last season and say, well, maybe that's that was the reason or a big part of the reason why they were successful in Serie A because they got knocked out of the Champions League relatively early. On Angisa, you mentioned him. At this point, I mean, there's obviously a long way to go, but I can't name a better signing, and all of said, yeah, especially when you consider the price we paid. Like, you could look at Tammy Abraham for Roma, but they paid a good amount of money. I think it was forty million. They paid for forty. Him.
2: They paid forty million for Tammy Abraham. He's been a great signing, but um, I mean, Angisa for free this year, and for what, twelve to fifteen million in the summer. Is such a bargain! It's ridiculous, and it just seems like he's that player that Napoli have been missing since Alan stopped playing well. Angiisa is just that guy, and I and I um I'll even go as far as to say um Anguisa brings more to Napoli than Alan did. There's just more to his game, in my opinion, more technical. The passing range is also there. It is it is an incredible signing, and it does feel like our team is very very complete. You can't look anywhere on the field and say okay. If Napoli had this, I mean, of course, left-back was a huge issue this year, but Mario Rui has has been playing at a relatively high level and he's been playing very, very well. So there's no holes in Napoli. And Fabian Ruiz is becoming what we thought he would when we signed him from Spain a few years ago. And that's also credit to Anguisa.
1: In the preseason, when Spalletti kept on saying, I don't need to sign any players, just don't sell any players. My initial reaction to that was, okay, he's... He's kind of been told by the owner coming into this arrangement that it's gonna be a tight summer we're not gonna spend that much money so why not say that but the more I see this team play and the more I see us getting contributions from both goalkeepers from guys like labotka from you know some of the guys that came back even though you know Malqui and Unas are both injured but when they're healthy they both play a role now I really think that spalletti was referring to the whole squad and thinking you know i i have enough talent on this team that if you just leave it as is i can make it work and you know Angisa was a huge addition and you know i'm glad that that happened mo i think we'll leave it there thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today
2: it was a pleasure thank you so much as as i say you you have always been in my eyes the voice of napoli so uh, i i really appreciate you having me and um, i look forward to coming on once again so thank you very much
1: Definitely. We'll definitely have you back on. soon. we won't make you wait as long as we did last time. <laughs> you can find Mo on Twitter at salad NFL, by the way, if you're looking for great NFL content, and I know, you know, with in Europe, the NFL is really blowing up these days. So for any UK listeners, definitely check Mo out. If you don't already, it's at salad NFL. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore five, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. At Fortuna Napoli Pod, I'll be back very soon to review our Primavera and Femminile matches over the weekend, as well as to preview our Europa League match against Legia Warsaw. But until then, I'm Joe Frischetti, Fortuna Napoli sempre.
2: Y tú sai
0: adoro,
2: tú adoro, tu estupor ingrato, que yo despiete, coche, mas si fuye, el la da, te corre a lago Younger!